Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you guys, worship together. What a privilege it is to get to worship together, to hear you sing and pray and to give and now to interact with this word. We're gonna be in 2 Peter today if you are new here uh, and you're new to the Bible, the whole deal. I uh, wanna encourage you to try to follow along as best you can. 2 Peter's near the end of the Bible. We'll get there in just a second. And as you're turning there, I want to recognize our VBS leaders. We've talked a couple different times this morning about this being VBS week. You see the JFBI shirts, which are great conversation starters, by the way, uh, in our community. But we're grateful. From what I was told, we have more kids registered for VBS this week than ever in the history of Johnson Ferry, which we're excited about that. That's awesome which just gives us a tremendous opportunity. I I know that a lot of kids are here for different reasons. Some parents just want a place for their kids to be for childcare purposes and other things. Honestly, we don't don't really care their motives. What we care about is how God is going to use this week to transform lives forever. And we have some of the best leaders and the best volunteers and servants who are gonna give of this week to invest in this next generation. We'd love to pray for you so Uh, If you are here today and you are gonna play some kind of leadership slash service slash volunteer something with VBS this week, would you please stand? I wanna pray for you uh, right now. Anybody gonna serve in that way? Yeah, that's awesome. So, good. Great. I just would love to pray a prayer blessing over you. Father, for every person standing here today and those who have stood all morning, Lord, we're thankful for them being like Jesus and putting a towel around their arms metaphorically and washing the feet of people in our community that need to hear about Jesus. Lord, would you empower them and use them in ways bigger than they could ask, think, or imagine? Lord, we pray that, Lord, amidst the brokenness of our world, there would be lives changed for eternity this week at VBS. God, not just the kids come and have fun and all the chaos of a VBS week, but Lord, when the gospel is shared, Lord, would your spirit do a great work in God bigger ways than we could ask, think, or imagine. God, keep your hand on these leaders. They're gonna get tired. Uh, They'll get distracted because they're humans. And so, Lord, would you just bless them and use them and give them your favor. And God, we pray that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys have a seat. We're in between series. We just obviously wrapped up a long series in Hebrews uh, starting next week, and we have an altered schedule next week, so make sure you look in the uh, listening guide about that. We're going to start a new series called Summer Essentials, looking at some really key verses in the Bible that help us to live for Jesus. Today, I want to do something a little bit special and take a passage that I've been reading through lately and praying through and share it with you uh, in 2 Peter 1 through 11. And as I get there, I'm gonna ask you a question that you might struggle to answer. I know that I would. And the question is this. Am I happy? Now you might go, well, sure, I'm happy. What if I were to ask in an hour? Or how about tomorrow? Or how about Thursday? See, happiness is a bit fleeting, isn't it? It kind of goes up and down with whatever we're going through in life. There's been a lot of studies about happiness. How do you find happiness? Where does happiness reside? In fact, there's a study that measures happiness with geography. In other words, what country is the happiest country 
on the planet. Now, don't look on your phones, but do you know what country in 2022 was rated the happiest country in the world? Anybody know? Finland, Finland, Finland. Apparently, they didn't do that survey in February. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I don't know what it is about Finland. I think it has something to do with socioeconomic issues, whatever. But apparently, there are happier places than others. Maybe we should all move to, move to Finland. I would rather think about a, a better word than happiness, and that's the word satisfaction. Am, am I satisfied in life? I've entitled today's message, The Good Life. That's not a phrase that's used anywhere in 2 Peter, but that phrase encapsulates the life that we are striving to live. In fact, if you were to go out today and just ask random people here in East Cobb or North Atlanta, hey, what's the good life? You'd probably get a, a bunch of different answers. You'd probably get answers related to financial security. The more money you have, that's the good life. Maybe a life free of pain, suffering, a healthy life, that's a good life. A life with deep friendships, family, that's a good life. Maybe the good life for many people is just doing what it is they love to do. So a good life is a life where you get to you know, eat at nice restaurants or, or go to a lot of movies or play football or play video games or what, you know, like whatever you're into, that's the good life. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and, and I know that not everyone here today is a follower of Jesus, but maybe the more poignant question that all of us should ask is what does God say? about the good life? And are we living in light of what God says about the good life? Again, that phrase is not used anywhere in 2 Peter. You're not gonna see the good life in the verses we're about to read. But I think this passage encapsulates so much of what it looks like to walk with Jesus and to walk in light of the good life. So let's look at this together, 2 Peter 1 through 11. And as soon as you got it, and if you're physically able, would you all stand together? I'd love to read 2 Peter 1 through 11. And I'll give you a, a few handles as we read it. So what he's going to do in verses 1 through 4, he's going to just declare this is what we have in Jesus. And then in verses 5 through 9, he's going to talk about things that you should do in light of what you have in Jesus. And then 10 and 11 is kind of a collective challenge to what we're waiting for in light of everything he said. 2 Peter 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Now, 
For this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Father, as we now enter into this portion of the worship service, we have opened your word and we have heard phrases like we are partakers of the divine nature. And Father, I pray that in this text today, we would get a vision of, of who you are and what you long for us to be and to do. God, may, when we study the Bible, not simply be about stuffing a bunch of content into our brains, but Lord, would we rely on your word to, to live and to apply all that you've given us so that we might be and do the people you want us to be and to become. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would now speak to us through it, by your spirit, and we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today I'm going to structure this talk around three questions I'm going to apply to this text. If you want to follow along, I always encourage you to go to our listening guide. Got a lot of blanks today. You can play bingo the whole time uh, I'm talking. But I want us to think, First about this primary question, then we're going to build upon it. And the question is, what is the good life? Now, Peter here never uses that phrase, but in verse 1 through 4, he, he talks about what it looks like for us to have these, what he calls, magnificent and precious promises in Jesus. He says in verse 1 that he's a bondservant and an apostle. If you're a servant, you have a master. If you're an apostle, you have a sender. Who is that who is that master? Who's that sender? Well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith like ours, in other words, he's assuming that those who are hearing this read out loud or reading it for themselves, they share the same faith. Now, I would love to assume that about this whole room, though I think that would be miscalculated just because I know by the nature of a crowd this size, there's no way that all of you are followers of Jesus, but a lot of you are. And he's reminding you of what you have in Jesus. For instance, down in verse three, he says, for his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to two things. What are they? Life and godliness. Life is not merely just biological life. You know, that our heart is pumping, our lungs are breathing. That, that is life, but that's not really what he's talking about. When he says pertain to life, he's talking about spiritual life. Jesus Christ talked a lot about spiritual life. Remember in John 10, speaking of himself as the great shepherd, he says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, destroy, but I have come so that you may have, anybody know the next word? 
life. You may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus longs for us to have this life with God. And Peter says that through the divine power of God, you've been given everything pertaining to life and to godliness. Godliness is a word that means a fervent devotion to the things of God. Even when times are really tough, you will stick with God. And God has given you the divine power for everything you need for life and for godliness. Meaning that if you have Jesus, you lack nothing. God has given you everything. This last week I was watching the first part of the NBA draft and I saw that the Spurs um, chose uh, this, this unbelievable athlete. What's his name? Wimby Yama? Wimby, they call him. He's, have you seen this kid from France? He's 7'3". When he puts on his shoes, he's 7'5". He has an eight-foot wingspan and he flies. It's amazing. This, this kid's unbelievable. He, he not only just plays like down low, but I mean, he can dribble, he can shoot, he can play outside. He is amazing. Now, I th- I just think about it as a thought experiment. I, I could try my hardest. I could quit my job, spend the next year practicing hours every single day to become a basketball player. And I wanna promise you right now that there is no way I would ever beat him in a game of basketball. Right, him playing basketball with me is like me going to hoop it up with the preschoolers right now, you know, who wants to go, right? Who wants to go, right? I mean, that's what it's like. I, I, lack, I lack what I need to beat him in basketball. But can I tell you something? If you're a follower of Jesus, you lack nothing. Nothing in the area of life and godliness. And not only that, but Peter says, I love this phrase, that you, in verse four, you have become a partaker of the divine nature. Now, there's been a long debate in history about that phrase in Christian history. In fact, it has split the church in many ways. The Eastern Orthodox Church largely believes that as Christians, we share in the essence the nature of God. Uh, we, we reject that teaching because we want to make a proper, dis, you know, we want to properly distinguish between human nature and, and God in his essence. But at the same time, if we're followers of Jesus, we do have a union with Christ. Paul uses the phrase all the time that we are in Christ, meaning that all those salvific benefits of Jesus, redemption, adoption, justification, sanctification, glorification, all of these concepts of what it means to be saved in Jesus, those are granted to us such that we share in the divine nature of God. So Peter here is laying out This is what you have in Jesus, and I am laying out for you, this is a description of the good life. Now, to answer the question, what is the good life, I want to put this before you as a possible answer. I would say, what is the good life? Answer, to be fully satisfied in God. To be fully satisfied in God. And here I want to go back to someone that we quoted weeks ago that I have been reading some of, and that is St. Augustine. And you may think, well, that's some kind of dusty church father from the 300s. I mean, what's he have to do with 2023? I I want to tell you, his writings are so relevant. This is a guy, I mean, we call him St. Augustine. That wasn't always his name. He was Augustine of Hippo, which is a place in North Africa. But he's pretty wild his first couple years of life. He 
He had a, a child out of wedlock, so he wasn't married to the woman he had a child with. I mean, he kind of lived a crazy wild life, and then he found Jesus. And in a lot of his writings, he talks about the good, the good life. And he, and he equates the good life with being satisfied in God. In fact, this is his kind of progression of thought. Now, I'm going to put it all up here at once, and if you want to take a screenshot or something or go back on our YouTube channel later, I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. But this is what he says. What is the good life, according to St. Augustine? He says, basically, number one, people desire to be happy. Every single person here wants to be happy. We all share that in common as humans. You don't have to be a Christian to want to be happy. All people want to be happy. Happiness, number two, is the product of being satisfied by the things you love. There's a connection between what you love and your satisfaction. Most people, number three, are unhappy and unsatisfied. And I think we would agree with that. Most of the people we talk to, to some degree, are unhappy with life and unsatisfied. Number four, only God is sufficient to satisfy. And number five, the path to happiness is a rightly ordered love of God. Now, let me, let me start at the back and work kind of my way up. A rightly ordered love of God. What he's saying is that it's natural to love things but unless God is at the top of that chain, we will never find satisfaction. So for instance, you know, I love lots of things. Like I love my wife. I love baseball. I love cheesecake. And I love God. Now I'm using the same word love for all four of those things, but I don't equally love all four of those things. And what he's saying is that when you look out, most people are unsatisfied because they are trying to love things that aren't sufficient to provide satisfaction. A lot of you do that. That's why people get obsessed about money or beauty, even health. They get obsessed about family, get obsessed about their sports, they get obsessed about their careers. Now, those aren't bad things, but none of those things can completely satisfy you. And until you have a rightly ordered love of God, you will never experience true satisfaction. So Augustine is famous for saying this, and this is an old English version of his quote. He didn't speak English, so I'll use some these and thous, but you might have heard this quote before. Thou movest us to delight in praising thee, for thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Have you heard that before? And that's his whole point. You, you can try to find satisfaction in other things, and you're going to do it. We all do it. We all sometimes drift into those things. But your heart will never find the rests that it's looking for. Your heart will never find the satisfaction it's looking for until you have a rightly ordered love of God. He is what first and foremost satisfies you. And we live in a world that is searching for satisfaction. Uh, look at this chart. You can see, you know, I think about this next generation. And this is a chart with 8th, 10th, uh, and 12th graders. Depressive symptoms. I mean, look, look, just look at this chart alone. You know, starting in about 2010, 2015, it started to go up. Obviously, with COVID, there's a precipitous incline. I mean, 50%, it says, I can't do anything right. My life is not useful. I don't enjoy life. These are the prevailing thoughts of many in this generation. And it's because they have been lied to about where satisfaction comes from. The good life, according to God, 
is that you become a partaker of the divine nature and that you have life and godliness given to you through Jesus Christ. That's the good life. Now, in this text, Peter doesn't just say, okay, this is the good life. He doesn't use that phrase. He doesn't just say, all right, here's what it means to have Jesus. Then he says, you gotta do something with it. And so that's the second question I'll ask for you. How do you, how do you achieve slash receive, both of those verbs matter, achieve slash receive the good life? Notice in verse five of 2 Peter. Now for this very reason, what very reason? The very reason of what you've been given in Christ. Now for this very reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith supply, and then he gets seven virtues. Let's think about that for a second. That phrase is translated, applying all diligence. You, you have to put forth some effort once you are found in Christ. You know, sometimes we treat it like, hey, you got saved, that's awesome, you, were, you repented of your sin, put your faith in Jesus, wonderful. Now come on up here, we got a holy recliner for you that you can just kind of chill out and relax until you get to heaven. But the reality is that now that you're a follower of Jesus, there are things that we do. And here's this tension between what God does and what we do. And the scriptures always hold this intention, which I think is very important. Charles Spurgeon was one time asked, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and human responsibility? And his answer was, I don't have to reconcile friends. In other words, they're both true. There are things that God does. There are things that we do. And what he says here is that we are to, with diligence, take your faith. So the faith is the verse one through four part, right? What we have in Christ. And then, and then supply it with, and he lists seven virtues. Now that word supply, it's a word from the ancient world that would often be used by someone who would help to put on a play which is interesting. I mean, they didn't have movies like we do and TV shows, that kind of deal. So a play was a big deal. And, and often, you know, the, the more money you could contribute to the play in terms of you could hire more people, have better costumes, have better props, it was a better experience, just like movies today. Usually the more money that goes into a movie, the better the movie is. He, he was saying that these are people who supplied lavishly such that it was a better experience. And the same word is used here of things we do to our faith. I was thinking about I think this was probably spring of 2020. So we're right there, kind of in the beginning of the, of the pandemic. And so one Friday night, our family goes out for ice cream, which is kind of a normal occasion for our family. I love ice cream. So we, we went to one of our favorite places that was at the Avenue, Avenue uh, called Minchie's. Anybody have been to Minchie's? You know, it's kind of yogurt ice cream place. Well, you know, if I go there with my kids, typically, um, you know, we're, we're getting ice cream and, and partly for health reasons, but mainly because I'm cheap, I'm controlling the portion of toppings, right, going to the ice cream. So, you know, like your kid's like, want well, sprinkle, you're like, let me get that for you. You know, you just put a little bit of sprinkle on it, that kind of deal. Well, in COVID, you couldn't go in the store. In fact, you could go up to the store and they had plexiglass, because we all know that COVID doesn't travel past plexiglass. Anyways, but you would, you would stand there and, and the guy at the store would say, well, you can't come in here, but we can do the ice cream for you. Well, we want ice cream, so right, you do it for us. So we you know, kind of tell them, you know, we want this flavor. Now, his approach to the toppings were very different than mine, right? Because when my kids would say, I want M&Ms, like he didn't just like sprinkle some M&Ms. I'm talking like a dump truck of M&Ms go 
on this ice cream. I'm just watching this happen. And you don't want to be the guy in line who's like, hey, could you not put so many you know, toppings on my... So I just let it happen. So he, he eventually puts like these five, it looks like gallon buckets of like ice cream. I think I paid like $53. <laughs> you know, business was good for him that night. That, that's what it means to lavishly supply something. Peter says, yes, you have a faith, but you've got to supply things to it. And then he walks through these virtues. All are worth commenting on. I'm not going to simply because these are not exhaustive. I mean, there are lots of kind of lists in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus' Beatitudes is a list. In Romans 5, Paul has a list of virtues, qualities. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians is a list of virtues and qualities. So all, all these are, are, are worthy of it, but interesting that the base level is faith, and then you add to it these virtues, and the top is love. God wants to be a loving person of him and of our neighbor. And he says in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, are you seeing more of this? Then you know what happens? They do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So think about that. If we aren't applying these virtues to our lives, the net result is that we are useless and we are unproductive. And and none of us wants that. Now, this is where I want to talk about some practical things when it comes to living a life in light of God's good life. And how do you do that? And I would say, what's the answer to how do I achieve slash receive the good life? The answer might be said this way, that we are to develop holy habits of reformation. Now, I know that's a loaded phrase. I want to explain it. Develop holy habits of reformation. Habits are so important to us. Habits are those rituals that we do over and over again. Often we do them consciously, sometimes we do them subconsciously. Some are more important, like a habit of, let's say, dating your spouse. There's a much less significant habit of chewing your nails. Both are habits. Both things we do. But here's the thing about habits. Habits are not only what we do, habits also do something to us. And we are being formed by this world in subconscious ways that we often don't realize. Like, for instance, if if you spend all your time on social media, which a lot of us do and a lot of us struggle with, that is forming you in ways that you don't often recognize. If, let's say, you're the type of person where if I walk in your house and you have blaring hours upon hours cable news. Anybody know anybody like that? Let's point to them right now. Anybody know anybody like that? I'm just kidding. If, if, if you're the type of person that you're constantly having that come into your mind all the time, it, it is forming you in ways that you are often unconscious of. Ha- habits are not just what we do. Habits are doing something to us. So let me say it positively when I think about habits. I think about baseball. I've talked about baseball a couple of times. Love baseball. You know, if, if in baseball, a coach will often do what's sometimes called like a pepper drill or something. So like with an infielder, you know, the, the coach will take a bat and just hit ball, hit ball, hit ball. And, and just over and over again, he's taking short hops, he's taking short hops, he's taking short hops, and he's throwing, he's taking short hops, he's throwing, and he's doing that hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. And the result is that when the game is on the line, 
and that ball is hit to you, you don't think to yourself, okay, the ball's coming. I need to make sure my left foot is here, my hip position's here, and I got my glove here, and then when I get the ball, I'm gonna move my... You don't even think about that. Subconsciously, you have practiced it so many times that when you receive the ball, you know what to do. It's a habit that you have done, and now you're experiencing what it has done to you. In the body of Christ, we have to develop holy habits, you might call them rituals, that help us to be the people that Jesus wants us to be. Now, John Safari, it starts with a mission. It starts with helping people find truth, belonging, and purpose in Jesus. And we should have a relentless pursuit for the lost. We should have a relentless pursuit for people to know Jesus. That's what VBS is about this week. That's what so many of our ministries are about. We watched tragically the news that happened with the submarine this last week, and there was this relentless pursuit to try to save those before the submarine imploded, and unfortunately, they were too late. And I think about our world is imploding. And we should have an all-out search and rescue mission for people that would come to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, we want you to come to know him and experience his good life. But, but once you find Jesus or he finds you, then we are to now walk in a different way and start to, start to form habits that help us to be the people he wants us to be. Five values that we talk about in disciple making at Johnson Ferry, and maybe you've been in some of the trainings where we've talked about this. A lot of times we do with our leaders, so I don't think we've done this you know, with the whole church. So maybe you're just hearing this for the first time today. We talk about five values of disciples. And the five are, are here. You can see a chart behind me. Worship, community, stewardship, service, and multiplication. Worship, community, stewardship, service, and multiplication. Let me just talk about how these are habits for us. So I think about worship. You know, the phrase I put here is prioritize gathering. That we should make a priority, this weekly gathering of the body of Christ coming together to worship, to pray to sing when appropriate, to take the elements like the Lord's Supper, to experience baptism, to give together, to study the Word of God together, hopefully to linger together. I hope that you don't just come in here and then leave, but that you linger and you talk to people. And this has to be a habit that's formed, not because God grades on our perfect attendance. He doesn't. But this service is a habit that is forming you into who God wants you to be. And it's not the only thing he does, of course. It's one of the things. So let's just talk about how it's a reformation because our culture is forming us in some other ways. So here's a real tension point for a lot of parents. Sports. And how many leagues and tournaments practice and play on Sundays or have travel tournaments away? And look, I love sports. And we experience some of this tension with my kids too. This is not easy. It's not a time I'm shaming parents. But let's just use it as an example you have sports that are trying to form your family in one way, and you have to make a decision. Will that form us, or will we be formed more by the corporate gathering of the church? Now, there are some wonderful Christians who, you know, go to a travel baseball tournament, and they'll have a worship service and create a way for kids to focus on Jesus and these rhythms, and that, that's awesome. But let's also admit that's like 1%. Most of us don't do that. Most of us just go to the tournament and we think, well, we love baseball and he's, you know, he's gonna be successful in his life. But I'm telling you, it is forming your child in ways that you have no idea of in the long term. And they are learning lessons right now by the kind of habits 
that God wants to form them. So whatever our worship looks like, it needs to be a prioritized gathering. Let me just mention a few others. Like, so community, I wrote the word accountable commitment. It's great to have friends. You know, people talk about sports and politics and weather or whatever it is you get together to talk about, but really accountable friendships are about helping us to pursue the things of Jesus. Like, do you have someone in your life that after you have been with that person, you feel closer to Jesus? You need someone like that in your life, a godly, accountable, committed friendship. And we are to be devoted to community stewardship, sacrificial giving. Of course, stewardship is bigger than money, but we often equate money with stewardship. And I'm just gonna be real transparent with you here as your pastor. So every week, Terika and I have, not every week, just about every week, we, we have what um, is called a coin and calendar meeting. Sounds real romantic, doesn't it? A coin and we just sit down for about 30 minutes and we look at the upcoming week and we go through our schedules and just make sure, you know, if, we're, if we get kids to certain things and meetings and all that, we just kind of, it helps bring some order to our chaotic lives. And then we also do the coin part, which is we pull up the bank statement and just kind of look at where our money's going. And of course, one of the categories on there for us is giving. We give to John Safari, we give to our church. Now, I would love to tell you that when I see that amount, the first thought is, isn't God good? And he is good. And he has taken care of us in amazing ways. My first thought in the flesh when I see that number is the other things we could be doing with that money. Whether it's vacations, cars, restaurants, clothes. Yet the habit that we have formed to give sacrificially is changing us. Yes, it's an act of worship, but it's also a holy ritual that God is using to change us. When it comes to uh, the next one, which is service, I wrote the words, inconvenient humility. Have you ever noticed that being a servant is never convenient? It's never convenient. Like, I, I love you guys who have I love all y'all, but I especially love the people who are serving VBS this week, right? Like you, you guys, just you're serving um, in an inconvenient time for many of you. You got crazy stuff, you got life, you got your own kids, you got your own rhythms, and it's inconvenient, yet you're choosing to serve for the benefit of others. And that's doing something to you. You know, you want, you, do you wanna know the number one way to know if you're a servant? See how you respond when you're treated like one. And it's inconvenient. Yet that's what Jesus did. He always served in an inconvenient way to demonstrate his humility. And finally, multiplication. By this, we're saying, that, hey, a value of a disciple is that you gotta be a disciple maker. Jesus said to go and make disciples. So you wanna know, am I, am I multiplying disciples? Am I reproducing disciples? Pretty, pretty simple to know that. I mean, Jesus said, go make disciples. So what if I said, all right, easy. Who are the names of the people that you have made to be disciples of Jesus? And until that becomes a holy ritual of ours, we will never do it. But in doing it, God changes us. So I could go on and on, but you get the point. The way that we achieve this good life is that we develop these holy habits that reform us and do something to us such that our heart is driven to the good life. So we looked at what is a good life, how do I achieve it, receive it, 
And briefly, I'll just cover this last one and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Number three, how do other people contribute to the good life? In verse 10 and 11, we see that Paul, excuse me, Peter, therefore, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to a collective group, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. Interesting. Be diligent to make certain about his two things, calling and choice of you. In other words, all these benefits of salvation through Christ to you, make certain that you're standing on that ground, make certain that that's true. And he says, of you. Now, in the English, it's hard to pick this up. In the Greek, that's a second person plural, which means if Peter knew how to really talk, he would have said y'all instead of you. Because he's saying brothers and sisters, he's talking collectively, make sure you, y'all, make certain of his calling and his choice of you. And he says, if you practice these things, you will never stumble. See, it's not just that I believe these things, but if you practice these things, you will never stumble. And in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied. There's that word again, supplied to you. Here, here's the real deal for most of us when, we come, when it comes to following Jesus, and I'll give this as the answer. It's not really an answer, it's more just a declaration. You won't follow Jesus by yourself. You won't. You won't follow Jesus by yourself. Now, is it possible to follow Jesus by yourself? Of course it is. Is it probable to do it in the way he wants us to? Probably not. We need other people. And Jesus modeled this, did he not? In the way he invested in others, challenged others, befriended others, laughed with others, ate with others, did life with others, sent out others. Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 19. We use this verse a lot around here at Johnson Ferry. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Now, I know we probably memorized fishers of men. The word for men is really just mankind. So like all people, Jesus says, if you follow me, I will do something to you. What is that? I will make you fishers of people. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And that's one of the reasons at Johnson Ferry, we do what we call 419 groups um, and that we help people to walk in the ways of Jesus together so they're fishing for people, living out the ways of Jesus. And I would just encourage you guys, if you haven't investigated a 419 group, uh, please do so. You can go to this website. There's a couple of videos on there. I'm in a couple of those videos just, just giving you a primer on what's it look like to be a disciple and to make a disciple. And that's what God wants us to do. The good life, we've talked about today, the good life. What is the good life? How do we achieve it? And what role do other people play? Um, you know, it's interesting as a pastor, like I'm around uh, death more than the average person, simply just because you walk through crises with people, hospitals, deaths, funerals, that kind of thing. And it's always fascinating to me that when people are dying and they know they're dying, it's fascinating what the way they do and do not talk about. Like for instance, they, they never talk about their 401k. They never talk about that boat that they saved up to buy. They never talk about their house. They never talk about their mortgage. They never talk about their debt. They never talk about their favorite football team. It's interesting that when people are faced with eternity, you know what they talk about? They talk about God and they talk about people. The good life 
is a life where we are satisfied in God and that satisfaction spills over into how we love other people. And that's why Jesus came, so that we could have that satisfaction. If you've never given your life to Jesus, he is the path to the good life. He is the good life, such that we could be partakers of the divine nature. That's our prayer for you, that you would walk in the good life this week. I'd love to pray that over you. Father, as we just consider what it looks like to walk with Jesus, I pray for every person here today that they would know with you, that they would know you, they'd walk with you. And Lord, they live in your ways. Lord, I know there are people in this room who have never given their life to Jesus, never repented of their sin, never believed in you as the Son of God who died on a cross for their sins and was raised to new life, that God, they might too be raised one day to an eternal resurrection. Stand with you, Father. I pray that today is the day of salvation for someone here today. Lord, I also pray for a bunch of people who, well, to use the language of this verse, they're living useless and unproductive lives for Jesus. And it's because we haven't really supplied our faith with the things that help us to become the people that you want us to become. So Lord, would you convict and challenge and encourage and do all the things that only your spirit can do as we respond to your word. Lord, I'm thankful that this text ends with the promise of eternal life, the promise of heaven, the promise of life together with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And God, would we live with that perspective, singing this, this hymn of heaven? Would that be the anthem of our life? God, speak to your people. Use us this week. And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.